This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Drive. They'll fake him. Pressure coming on Ryan. The ball's out. Carolina has caused a fumble, and it looks like the Falcons got it back. Pressure is picked up, and Bridgewater delivers for the first down. Running loose. It's DJ Moore down the sideline. DJ Moore has a Panther touchdown. Fake to him. Bridge wide open. Touchdown, Panthers. Mike Davis on the pass from Bridgewater. Ryan. On a third down, is going to go down. He had time, but Marquise Haynes caught up with him when he didn't get rid of it. On third and four, Ryan's a throw for the end zone, and it's intercepted. Justin Burris kept his feet in, and the ball, he was in position. Robert Walsh. I'm old enough to remember three weeks ago when my timeline was filled with local media and some fans saying it was a mistake to hire Matt Rule over Eric Bieniemy. You remember that? Matt now has just as many wins in his last three games as he did his first seasons at both Baylor and Temple combined. I also remember Panther fans saying they'd prefer not to win a game this year and to draft Trevor Lawrence than to be any kind of competitive. Well... I'm looking at how much fun the Giants and Jets fans are having right now, and yeah, I think the Panthers' path looks a little bit better. What we've seen through five weeks, I believe to be the best-case scenario for the Panthers. I don't know how you evaluate what decisions to make on a day-to-day basis, but I usually like grabbing my yellow notepad I have in front of me here and charting what the best-case scenario for certain things are, And the worst case scenario is, you know, the old saying, you hope for the best, but you certainly expect the worst. And that's what I was doing with this Carolina Panthers season. I thought, worst case, they're probably a four or five win team. Best case, I thought the ceiling was around seven or eight wins. And I do feel that's where Carolina is probably going to be floating in. But I didn't think through five games Carolina would have a winning record. I didn't. I get the people who want to have the star quarterback out of college. You want to have the guy with the hair that you've watched the last few years that we hear is a transcendent quarterback. But the guy playing quarterback for the Panthers the last few weeks looks pretty darn good. I'd rather bank on what I know to be a consistent contributor versus someone we think might be a a transcendent quarterback. Teddy was over 300 yards passing. He had two touchdowns, no turnovers. That's exactly what you're going to get with Teddy. And he hasn't even entered his prime yet. He's 27 years old, not 37. (laughs) So he still has a ton of great years with Carolina. But the reason I really believe this is the best case scenario, it's become pretty clear the right infrastructure is in place for this team long term. Coaching, Matt Rule, he's saying all the right things. The players they're buying in. The identity he shaped for this team, it follows in suit what his teams looked like at Temple and at Baylor. So guys are starting to take the form of their coach. And that's what you get when you have a younger team. They're more malleable. They're more impressionable. And they've bought in. Joe Brady, that guy's a star. I tweeted out yesterday something I've been saying for the last few months. Joe Brady, he's going to be an NFL head coach in less than four years. And then I got ratioed, Robert, from Panther fans saying, "Uh uh-uh, he's probably going to be a guy who's coaching an NFL team in four months. Maybe less than two years. He is a star putting players in terrific positions like Trent Scott and Greg Little when Russell Okun was out and Mike Davis, who again had over 150 yards in production yesterday. That's coaching. Phil Snow, he's not getting nearly enough credit. But the defense, we knew the cupboard was practically empty when they drafted seven defensive players. We knew this. Held the last three opponents to 21 points or fewer. That's pretty strong defense. Justin Burris getting the key interception at the end. 
NC State guy. We'll talk about the ACC in about 10 minutes. A big weekend here in the state of North Carolina as everybody came out a winner. The young defensive front seven, in addition to the coaching staff, that's what Carolina's going to bank on for the next 10 years. Brian Burns, who when he was playing before sustaining a a concussion, he was maybe the best player on the field. Constantly in the backfield, forced that fumble. Burris needs to recover that because a play after he he, uh, was unable to do so, that's when Burns sustained the injury that forced him out the rest of the game. Derek Brown, also 22 years old. Jeremy Chin, 22. Shaq Thompson, who led the team in tackles. He's only 26. Then there's quarterback play. As I mentioned, Teddy is 27, entering his prime years. This is a quarterback we now know, it's not think, we know is good enough to win in the NFL. Scott Fowler said it reminded them a lot of the 2003 Panthers. Hey, they're off the radar. They're not supposed to win. They got this backup quarterback who was backing up guys in New Orleans. He comes in. They have a running back named Davis that nobody knew at that time. Played a little bit with Washington. I don't know who he is. Here he comes, and he's he looks terrific. Looks a lot like those 2003 Panthers. Now, I'm not saying the Panthers are going to go to the Super Bowl this year. That would be crazy. But... The right infrastructure is in place. This was Matt Rule earlier today when asked whether or not he believes the Panthers are ahead of schedule. I don't really have a schedule in my mind. You know, like I, to me, I'm just like, you know, like I've said, I think I've said a couple of times in the first year, you're just trying to find the right guys and, and then have them to buy into the process that you're doing. I think, I think they're doing that. Um, so I, I would say in that regard, I think our guys, you know, even, even before the wins have been bought into the process and the things that we're doing, um, I think Joe, I think, I think the development of the young players, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of twos have had to play, especially on defense. And in the last three weeks, we've had a, we've had a two score lead in the fourth quarter and the other team's gone to like fast, no huddle. And, and I think I'm right in saying that the two score lead the last two weeks, um, the last three weeks going back to that chargers game. And so we've had to play a lot of guys on defense. And, you know, I think when you're looking at veterans out there playing and you're looking at rookies, I think that that, that indicates, not only good coaching, but good practice habits by the players that the young guys are getting developed. And that's, you know, to me, that's that, that's important. Shout out to Joe Person there. You could tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad if you have thoughts of the Panthers' third consecutive win and what it means for Carolina moving forward. 336-777-1600. We'll open up some of those phone lines there. Robert, it's a fact. They're the only team in the NFC South that's playing the long game right now. Atlanta's going to try and do so, but what do you do with Matt Ryan? Wes Durham, the voice of the Falcons, he was with us last week and said there's been no talk about trying to move Matt Ryan, who's been there through many of the volatile years that Atlanta had. The parting of ways with Jim Mora, who, by the way, I think his last game was against Carolina. Mike Smith's last game was against Carolina as well. The Bobby Petrino experience. Matt Ryan, he's been around for a very long time. He's 35 years old. So while they've let go of their GM, Thomas Dimitrov, and Quinn earlier today. Well, th- does that mean they're going to move off of Matt Ryan, or do they believe that they're going to bring in a new coach and immediately, with Ryan at quarterback, this team's going to be a contender again? I think they're leaning towards the latter versus a complete reboot like Carolina had. So Carolina, they're, they're looking at being good over the long haul. Tampa and New Orleans, they've pushed all their chips to the middle of the table. Here we are. We've got a quarterback who's 41 and 43, respectively. We're trying to win right now. New Orleans is 2-2. Two and two. They're in action later on tonight, and you can listen to the game right here on Sports Hub Triad. We'll see how that ends up for them. The Bears, they took out Tom Brady on Thursday night. Tom couldn't remember it was well, what down it was on at the end of that game. So Carolina's tied in first place with Tampa at the moment. Carolina... If you were a betting person, you're probably thinking they are the best long play in the NFC South. Oh, and I haven't even mentioned that Christian McCaffrey guy. You're going to get him back sooner rather than later as he's off of IR as of this morning. This team, I don't think it's crazy to think they can make the playoffs. I don't think that's nuts. The NFC is not great. There are only seven teams with winning records. Carolina is one of those teams. Seven teams make the playoffs now 
with the new playoff format. The NFC's not any good. The Panthers, they're playing with house money. Eh, don't count them out. And even if they don't make the playoffs, it's a lot more fun to be a part of the conversation than to be a Jet or a Giant fan right now. How about LeBron James last night? The Lakers leaving no doubt. And here's what's special about what we saw, Robert. I think when we look back, when we remember sports during the pandemic of 2020, 2020 being a milestone year, something that's going to go down in history, I think first we're going to think about Adam Silver and LeBron James. For many Americans, myself included, the pandemic started when Rudy Gobert tested positive. I remember being in the Greensboro Coliseum. I was with a few radio friends of mine. We were right beyond the floor when it happened. And we're thinking, oh, goodness, the stuff we've only heard about on the periphery has infiltrated the sports world. I'm sitting courtside during the North Carolina-Syracuse game next to Brendan Marks, whose head is about to explode from the athletic, when he tells me that Tom Hanks has tested positive for it. And we don't know what's happening at the Big Ten tournament. And, oh, yeah, the NBA just suspended its season. Silver's going to be remembered for being the first major league to act because it effectively ended team sports for about three months. The bubble that he helped build, that's going to be seen as the eighth wonder of the world, man. No positive test. No games altered due to COVID over three months. That's amazing. We're going to tell stories about watching this bubble decades from now. That's what we're going to remember most, I think. It's going to be crazy. We're going to hear story. We're going to tell stories about the year 2020 and the sports bubble the way that we listened to stories from our grandparents when it came to World War II. Back in 1942, I remember watching the Rose Bowl game in Durham. That was after Pearl Harbor. They played a Rose Bowl game in 1942 in Durham, the only time they didn't play it in Pasadena, California. So that's why we're going to remember Adam Silver. We'll remember LeBron because seven months to the day that everything got nuked. Rudy Gobert tested positive on March the 11th of this year. Seven months to the day later, October the 11th of 2020, LeBron James won his fourth NBA title. It was the perfect team to win it because the Lakers this year capture 2020 in a snapshot. It's the perfect snapshot of 2020. Kobe Bryant tragically passes away. The Lakers win the year that we lose Kobe. Social justice. LeBron may be the most outspoken athlete we've had on social issues since Muhammad Ali. And LeBron, he's the most iconic American athlete of this generation. So it is perfect. It's symbolic that the Lakers win the title last night. I thought that was a really special scene last night. Good on the NBA for getting it done. The voice of the Panthers, Mick Mixon, is going to join us in about 15 minutes. But in the newest AP poll, North Carolina is the fifth-ranked team in the land. Is it legit, though? I was at the game Saturday, and we'll share my thoughts. Next. Real talky, but not real listening. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. My calendar's all thrown off. Usually in October, we would be talking about NBA title odds as the season would be getting ready to start. Well, the NBA season ended last night, seven months to the day Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. Uh, the Lakers winning the title, their 17th, even though I know Boston fans are upset about that because four of those titles were won when they were in Minneapolis, and I don't think many other teams when they left claim titles for teams uh, at destinations they were no longer at. I think about, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't think they're claiming the championship that the Seattle uh, 
Supersonics won in the late 1970s. And I can go on and on with that. But we have NBA title odds for next year. And I want to get to that in just a bit because there's a point to make about the Charlotte Hornets that's kind of incredible with it. But in the city of Charlotte, the Panthers do have the winning football team that I think everybody's talking about today. Three consecutive wins after starting 0-2, the voice of the Panthers. Mick Mixon's now with us. And I'm interested in what you think the difference maker in this game was, Mick, because I look at the stats, the rush defense, not particularly stellar for Carolina. Both teams were pretty clean when it came to penalties. Um, 23 isn't a high score considering how potent this offense can be with Joe Brady. So since you were at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I'll defer to you. What did you think was the area of difference yesterday afternoon? Teddy Bridgewater, he outplayed Matt Ryan, and it's not, you know, it's the game within the game. It's, of course, the Falcons against the Panthers, Josh. But you asked me a specific question about what tipped the scales, and there were several things. It's rarely only just one thing. Uh, although there were a couple games in Cam Newton's career that I, I left that game thinking that he was the singular reason why he was the best player on the field for either team, and, and whichever team would have had him that day would have won. Uh, those games were rare, but if you look at Teddy Bridgewater's line, and I can't, I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm thinking something like 27 of 37 for 313 yards around in there, uh, no picks, a couple of tuggies, wasn't sacked, passer rating of around 116. Matt Ryan's line ends up with a passer rating of about 63. So Teddy Bridgewater's passer rating was almost twice what Matt Ryan's quarterback rating was. And now, um, is Matt Ryan, is Teddy Bridgewater twice as good as Matt Ryan? Of course not. But yesterday he was. He was a difference maker. What, what do you think? How do you see the game? Uh, I, I saw the game as Carolina being opportunistic and just playing clean football. I think when you look at the two things you can't have go wrong for you when you're playing on the road, you I don't, I don't care how many fans are in the stands. This is still relevant. Turnovers and penalties. Carolina had fewer than five penalties. They didn't turn it over one time. They did force a turnover, and it was a really important one that Justin Burris grabbed, but that continues to reign true, and it has the last three weeks. I thought that was the difference, but you're bringing up something I find to be pretty interesting. I think there were those games where we almost took Cam for granted, where it did feel like he would win a game all by himself. Those ga- those days seem to be gone now that Matt rules here and Joe Brady is all about spreading the football around in an offense that looks a lot like what we've seen with New Orleans the last decade and a half. It seems to me that this system is something that isn't completely hinged on one player, and the best example of that might be that they've won these three games without McCaffrey in the lineup. Yeah, and Mike Davis, my gosh. I mean, can you imagine opposing defenses thinking, and and we're glad that this isn't McCaffrey. This is what they follow. This is what they got as a second team back. Uh, Mike Davis, Kevin Donnelly said this on our pregame show, former uh, Tar Heel offensive lineman, Panther Oiler, O-lineman. Uh, Kevin Donnelly said that Mike Davis runs like someone just insulted his mom, like someone on the defense just dinged his ride in the parking lot. And Kevin went on with a couple more colorful phrases, and I thought, that's just brilliant. That is how Mike Davis, it's personal to Mike Davis. So many runs, Josh, where it should have ended right here. By every law of football physics, the Falcons should have had him right here. But six yards later, they finally get him down or finally get him out of bounds. And that's just a testament to this man and how how determined a football player he is. The voice of the Panthers, Mick Mixon's with us here on Sports Hub. Trying going to Mike Davis' stat line. Nine catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown yesterday. And then on the ground, 16 carries for 89 yards. So that amounts to about 150 yards of offense collectively after his big game last week. And here's here's something that has kind of bothered me a bit. Some try to make Mike Davis's success about Christian McCaffrey 
either positively or negatively, but mostly it's a knock on Christian, and I don't think that's particularly fair. But then I see others saying, oh, it's it's really the, the emergence of Davis. It's a testament to Joe Brady's scheming. But I don't know if that's giving Mike enough credit. What do you make of Davis's last three games? It's, a, it's where opportunity, like Vince Lombardi used to say, about luck. It's where opportunity meets preparation. And it's no more complex than that. Mike Davis is an NFL quality, a starting lineup quality running back, and he got the chance. He had some chances in Seattle. He's getting a chance here at Carolina, and he's uh, determined to make the absolute most out of it, as you would expect any any pro to do. And he's got no bigger fan than Christian McCaffrey. But I also think, to your point, the Joe Brady offensive scheme is a big part of it as well, the way he uses these chess pieces on the field, the rise to prominence of Robbie Anderson. There's such a tendency. This is just me, Josh. I'm not trying to say that all announcers or all fans should feel this way. But a lot of times in preparing for another team, you start getting captivated by all the great players that they have. And you, and, they, and it becomes this thing in your mind of, oh, my gosh, they got Julio. Oh, they got Calvin Ridley. And, oh, man, they got Gage. And how, how, what in the world? How are the Panthers going to stop this group of receivers? There's a tendency to forget about the fact that your own employer is packing at wide receiver, deep, talented receivers. And a lot of them haven't even gotten oiled up yet. I mean, Zilstra is a handful. Seth Roberts can make plays. And so um, so I think that this, this Panther offense has been fun to watch. And then, Josh, the other thing, let me say this very quickly. It hit me in my chest along about Thursday or Friday last week. It was almost this this epiphany that that came down from on high and just just whopped me upside the head. And that is that Mickey, listen listen to 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 the voices that you're hearing around you. Look, look at what you were hoping that was true when the Panthers hired Matt Rule, when the Panthers brought in Joe Brady, when this staff got together. It is true. Matt Rule isn't just a good football coach. He's destined for NFL greatness. And I mentioned this on the pregame show yesterday. You can trust in this. Dreams will come true. He will win championships. He already has raised the standard. And that rocket is going to take a while to tow out to the launching pad. But in the meantime, it's a hell of a lot of fun watching it get, watching it get fueled up. I want to close with this. The voice of the Panthers, Mick Mixon's with us. Prior to becoming the voice of the Panthers, you spent 15 years or so in Chapel Hill alongside Woody Durham. I'm not sure if you saw the news yesterday, but Robert Seymour, Dr. Robert Seymour at 95 years old, passed away. A key figure in the civil rights movement. Uh, he was Dean Smith's minister. He helped integrate businesses in Chapel Hill. Uh, John Feinstein spent a lot of time writing about him. When I tweeted about him yesterday, Feinstein wrote back to me saying, I'm sorry to hear about this. Robert Seymour, a great man, a mentor to Dean Smith, told me most, uh, told me one of the most important stories anyone's ever told me. Got to see him at many dinners. Uh, he was the first recipient. Uh, he was there when we presented the Dean Smith Award for the first time. He was also really important to John Thompson and many others. Uh, I'm not sure if you got to know Dr. Seymour at all, but... Based on stories you might have heard, both firsthand or secondhand, what comes to mind when you think of Reverend Seymour? Well, I grew up in Chapel Hill, and um, you can, uh, and I'm 62 years old, so this puts me right in the sweet spot of, of Dr. Seymour. He was the pastor at Binkley Baptist Church on the rare occasions that my family got it, got it t- together and decided to go to church. That's where we went. He did the uh, memorial service uh, at my parents' uh, funeral in 1989. He, um, his daughter, Frances, was a classmate of mine. His son, Bob Seymour, Robert Seymour, was a classmate of mine. And there's never been a classier family. There's never been uh, a nicer guy. And um, when, what a life he lived, and his, his legacy is definitely secure. Thank you for sharing on that. Thank you for uh, spending the time. As I know you're getting ready for a show, Panther Talk, later on tonight. It's the voice of the Panthers, Mick Vixen, with us here on Sports Up Trying. I hope we can catch up sometime soon, Mick. 
Yeah, let's do it. Call me. You got it. That's Mick Mixon. He's the voice of the Panthers on the Panthers Radio Network. As promised, Robert, the the NBA odds are out for next season. We have no idea when next season's going to start. <laughs> I have no idea how free agency is going to work, but the Lakers are a favorite. The Clippers are at plus 460 after that. Then it's in this order. The Bucks at plus 640. The Celtics and Nets, Robert, are at plus 1300. Yes, the Nets. I actually like this one here. Golden State, 14 to 1. Ooh, that that's, is tempting. That, that's, that's tempting right there. Uh, do you know who has the worst odds to win the NBA title next year? I'm going to guess it's the Charlotte Hornets. It's the Charlotte Bleeping Hornets. How is this possible? Is it because people don't think, or Vegas doesn't think anyone's going to bet on the Hornets, so it doesn't even matter? You can get the Hornets at 100 to 1. 100 to 1. Like, come on. They got Devontae Graham. No one pays attention to the Hornets. Like, they have about six teams at 80 to 1. Pistons, Cavs, Knicks, Spurs, Kings, Wizards, and Magic. They're all 80 to 1. You're telling me the Hornets are worse than those teams? Magic's and Ka- Magic and Cavs are the first one that came to mind where I was like, really? The Knicks? The Knicks. Who do the Knicks have that's remotely as good as Devontae Graham is? You got to look at the Knicks, though, kind of like the Cowboys, though, right? So I imagine they're trying to get Knicks fans. Free to... agents don't go to New York. They haven't landed a free agent since Amari Stodmeyer. How'd that go? The Knicks. Get out of here with that. You know, I might put a hundy down on the on the Hornets just because. What would that pay out? A hundred times a hundred. Math on the radio. I think that's four zeros, Robert. What would that be? $10,000? Yep. What I'm about. I might do that. Just just out of general principle. Because I'm all about giving away my money. All right, I've got grades for the Panthers' win over the Atlanta Falcons yesterday. Attaching a letter grade to specific players, A through F. I'll share with you Graham's grades next on The Drive. What the hell is this show? Why does everybody keep talking about it? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. I used to love this song. It's Gucci Mane, right? You got it. Is it Lemonade or Wasted? Wasted. Limon. I used to listen to this song all the time. Big fan of... Is it just young Goo-Wop or is it just Goo-Wop? You are ridiculous. Just Goo-Wop. Just Goo-Wop. <laughs> See, I'm pretty good when it comes to the hip-hop knowledge and the slang and such. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to the Carolina Panthers yesterday. Beat the Atlanta Falcons. Three straight wins for Carolina. I went back and rewatched this entire game, Robert, annotating what happens play-by-play on my yellow notepad here to grade out five players specifically. I've got an A, a B, a C, a D, and an F from yesterday's game. A touchdown win for Carolina. Let's dive deeper into what happened in Graham's grades. Every week in the NFL is a big test for the Carolina Panthers. We don't need no Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Time for Graham's grades. And after I grade these five Panthers A through F, Robert will throw something at me that's completely off the wall that I haven't been prepped for that I need to breakdown as well that I also need to grade. Let's start with the very best from the Panthers' 23-16 win. A. Teddy Bridgewater. 27-37, 3-13, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I think I'm going to agree with Mick Mixon, who joined us last segment. He was the difference yesterday. On the road, you can't have turnovers. You can't have explosive plays the other way. Um you got to control the game if possible and managing things at the line. Quarterbacks, they don't get enough credit for 
what happens when it when it comes to procedural penalties and such, making sure everybody knows what play it might be. I was told this a long time ago by a really good quarterbacks coach in the NFL. Sacks are just as much on the quarterback as they are the offensive line. QB has an opportunity to recognize protections, recognize where there might be weaknesses, assign different different protections to a running back or a wide receiver for help, get rid of the ball. Quarterback owns some responsibility there. So Carolina not allowing a sack for the second consecutive week Yes, the O-line deserves a lot of credit, but Teddy deserves it as well. The way that he spread the ball around, getting all the wide receivers involved and Mike Davis, it was a perfect Teddy Bridgewater game. He is reason number one. Carolina won their third straight game. B. I'm going to go with Curtis Samuel here. Technically, his numbers aren't as good as a Mike Davis. Not as good even as Robbie Anderson, who had that one hand to catch, eight catches, 112 yards. You look at 28 yards on the ground, 36 through the air. You had a a little over 60 yards in the game. Josh, why is he a B? He finally showed us why we were excited about him the entire offseason. Christian McCaffrey's out. Trenton Cannon, he is an idiot at running back. So he was essentially the second string running back. And he had that big third and two where he's going for 17 yards and the legs keep on churning. That's big time. And that's something that's going to give defensive coordinators nightmares prepping for it later this week. I don't care how great the Bears defense is. Curtis was really good running the ball. And here's another thing. Had two or three catches on third down to convert. A few when Carolina was down seven to nothing early on. Five catches on five targets. He was incredibly efficient. He was all over the place. So don't just look at the yardage. Look at the role he was asked to play. Curtis Samuel did what was necessary to get Carolina to win. C. Justin Burris. Yes, he had the interception that put things away. But, or gave Carolina a chance to put it away with that long drive at the end. But, how do you not recover that fumble, man? I'm not sure if you watch this game, Robert, but Brian Burns wallops Matt Ryan, crushes whoever the right tackle was to get to the quarterback, strip it away, and there is nobody else in the neighborhood, in the zip code of Burris, who tries to scoop it up and tries to scoop and score. Matt Rule said he likes the aggressiveness there. He's not going to tell him to do anything different in that spot, but come on. You want the football there more than anything else. And on top of that, him not recovering that fumble allowed for a third down play for Brian Burns to get hurt on the real, on the very next snap. Now, I'm not going to completely pin that on Burris, but come on, you got to recover that. It's a C for me because while you make the big play at the end, you missed out on a golden opportunity earlier in the game. D. D and F are really interchangeable here. Rasul Douglas is the D because he got beat left and right. Matt Ryan was just picking on Rasul Douglas this entire game. But, man, Carolina was banged up at corner. Dante Jackson, he gets hurt very early on. Can't go the rest of the way. A lot of Troy Pride snaps. He played most of the game. But just for that reason, with Douglas having to play 100% of the snaps again yesterday, I have him as a D instead of an F. Douglas really struggled. Calvin Ridley had a field day. He seemed to be open the entire time. If it wasn't for Carolina's front seven having a really good afternoon, it could have been disastrous for Carolina. F. It's to hear Whitehead again. Robert, like, if you just watch the highlights, you don't have to watch the entire game. Just look at the highlights. Every time Atlanta has a big play, Todd Gurley's touchdown run, 52 doesn't know where he's at. Like, he's supposed to be filling that hole. When you look at Austin Hooper, or not Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst, wide open in the in the in the uh, seam on what should have been a touchdown, well, it's clearly to hear Whitehead who lost his man again. The big runs Atlanta had, he's he's fill, refusing or not refusing, just unable to fill a lot of holes. He was rough again, and he played around 50% of the snaps as the starting middle linebacker. So to hear Whitehead 
He was the lowest point of yesterday's game, the weakest link, if you will. And those are the grades for this week. Uh, before I have you grade something random, did you get a chance to watch that movie I told you about, A Devil All the Time on Netflix? Devil All the Time. Me and Sarah Bradford watched it on Saturday night uh, before we started watching Clemson, Miami, and Alabama, Texas A&M. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, it has Tom Holland. It's on Netflix. You're talking about Robert Pattinson, Jason Clark. Yeah, noteworthy guys in this movie. A lot of noteworthy guys, but one guy you already named in particular, I want you to grade his performance as a Southern preacher, uh, Robert Pattinson. How do you think he did? Whew. I got to admit, I was pretty skeptical when I first heard the accent. Delusions! It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I don't know if it was a strong... I want to give him an Oscar yeah. for that Southern accent he pulled, but it wasn't... You know, trying to think of a bad accent in a movie. It wasn't Jack Nicholson's Boston accent in The Departed bad. I knew you were going to go there. You hate him in The Departed so much. Oh, no, no. I love him in The Departed. The Departed's one of my favorite movies. One of my top five favorite movies, maybe. But Nicholson's accent's just brutal in it. It's a terrible uh, accent. This might be the first time I've ever seen somebody from London actually pull off a passable southern accent. Like an Englishman... Like Pattinson. A little off topic here, but did you feel comfortable at any point in that movie? No. It made me feel so uncomfortable. I think it's a sign of a great movie. Some people say, oh, it has to make you feel good. No, it just has to make you feel something. Yeah. That's it. Like Uncut Gems. Oh, it's an awful movie. I thought it was a great movie because it accomplished exactly what it wanted to accomplish. Anyway, that's Graham's Grades. Can people stop saying I'm ridiculous and trying to stir the pot and that I'm... Just a hot take artist for suggesting the ACC is better than the SEC now? Like, where are those people now? I said it preseason, just suggesting it could happen. And then I thought they're every bit as good the last two weeks. And now, you know what, Robert? I'm just going to say it. The ACC is better than the Southeastern Conference right now. You know, look at the very top. That's how you're defined. We do have Let's Get Crazy today. But I honestly believe this. Can you see in any circumstance Clemson allowing 48 points to an unranked team? No. So while Bama beat Ole Miss, come on, man. Like, we're holding Bama to a standard that you wouldn't hold for Clemson. If Clemson allowed 48 and won 62-48 the same way Bama did against an unranked team, you know Feinbaum and everybody would be freaking crushing the Tigers. You know that would happen. But since it's Bama, I hear silence. I don't hear anything. Clemson's better than Bama. I thought last week maybe Bama was better than Clemson. No, Clemson is a better team than Bama because I can't see any circumstance, considering all they've lost, that anything, any team that's unranked could do that to the Tigers. Heck, even a ranked team can do that to the Tigers. So that's the top. Florida, they lose. They lose to A&M. That's supposed to be one of your top three teams. Georgia, oh, they're still top three. Okay, so you're going to tell me that Stetson Bennett is going to get Georgia to the promised land over, say, Ian Book at Notre Dame? Oh, but Notre Dame wasn't impressive against Florida State. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Uh, North Carolina, pretty darn impressive. Scored a lot of points. Oh, but they allowed a lot of points. Oh, so it doesn't matter for Alabama, but it matters because it's Mac Brown and UNC? Get the bleep out of here. The SEC. Not as good as the ACC this year. I am now, for the first time, sticking my chest out and saying it. It's not a suggestion. It's how I feel now. The ACC, I'm going to say it very clear, the Atlantic Coast Conference, better than the SEC in football this year. You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPC in Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up. Sports up, try your one-stop shop for sports talk. Sports. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I still can't get over this LeBron stat. I'm sure there are a lot of crazy ones you can find. In fact, Brian Geisiger, if there's one that comes to the top of your head, let me know. But this one here I find to be really interesting. LeBron's played now... Three NBA seasons worth 
of playoff games, more than 200 playoff games, more than anybody else in the history of basketball, and he's done so without missing one game due to injury. Like, we're talking close to 15 years of playoff uh, appearances, and LeBron hasn't missed one game due to injury. So when you're looking at the LeBron story, BG, I'm interested in what your favorite part of it is now that we've had championship chapters with Miami, Cleveland, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, and uh, LeBron has now played 81 more playoff games than Michael Jordan did too, which is like another full season, almost another full season of basketball. Um, it's insane. I just think like it, there's so many ways you can you can frame the greatness of LeBron, which is really what this is all about. Anthony Davis was amazing. Frank Vogel coached a great season of basketball too, but like LeBron, just the floor is he's going to take you to the finals. Um, you know, n- ten trips to the finals, including nine times in the last ten years, they won four of those, including one which was a pretty historical upset over Golden State in 2016. Just like you give him another star. Um, like AD, you have a great chance of winning the finals, but almost regardless of who you put around him, his power, his impact as a two-way player, and his defense really came back on this season, especially as a health defender where he was phenomenal. Um, like, he's just going to take you to the finals. There's some, there's, you know, it's not going to be all rainbows and sunshine. There's some, like, sort of organizational fatigue that comes with it too, but you're going to win, and you're going to win big. And, um in the weirdest, most challenging season in NBA history, like, of course, he comes out victorious, playing spectacular basketball. And what is year 17, but is really like year 20, did you want to factor in all the playoff games he's, he's accrued to? On Twitter at BGuys underscore Bird, you can find him there. We'll get to our ACC rankings in just a bit. I'm looking at this, this uh, Laker team as a collection of mercenary players, none of them really homegrown from LeBron to Danny Green, who got his third title with his third different team last night. Anthony Davis, of course. Uh, really, you could just go throughout this entire roster. They're all mercenaries strung together for this team. And I don't think there's another example in NBA history you can find of that happening. Lowry, of course, was homegrown last year. Fred Van Vliet. The, the Warriors drafted a lot of that talent before KD arrived. San Antonio, Dallas. I mean, heck, Miami might be the best example, but still Dwayne Wade was a central piece, and the only reason they went to Miami was because Dwayne Wade was there before. But the pieces that they brought in, we've talked about it numerous times. How much sense did it make that LeBron was probably the best ball distributor? He led the league in assists this year. Some of the shooting didn't seem like it would be up to snub enough to be a championship team by season's end. Should this team have been able to work? Yeah, I mean, because of Le- because of LeBron and not just like his offensive ingenuity, which was amazing, and his power as a driver. Um, he shot seventy five percent at the rim in the playoffs this year. It's ridiculous. But what they did defensively, and that starts with AD. But Vogel's a great defensive coach, flexible. You saw even just in the in the bubble how many different styles of defense they played, including uh, you know mixing in uh, zone and stuff. So versatile defense. Um, backed by Davis and the power of Anthony Davis. So I don't think that's something like if you can, I mean, it's so hard to peel back to 12, 13 months ago when the season was just about the start just getting started. But um, I don't think anyone could have forecasted the Lakers being this quite this good defensively, like third best in the league in efficiency, but on, on a night-to-night basis could be the best defense in the world. You could have forecasted the limitations as far as secondary playmakers go. And Rondo had some moments in the playoffs. And you could have also guessed that there were going to be some issues with shooting, which, yeah, that reared its head in the regular season somewhat. Um, but the half-court offense was better in the postseason in a smaller sample than the regular season. And, and, I mean, seriously, like, so much of that falls on LeBron. And some guys stepped up and had good – like, KCP had a good playoff. Um, so, yeah, guys came on when they had to to be the – not even, like, the third wheel necessarily, but just the secondary contributors that night. The Lakers got um, – Plenty from the mercenaries that you're talking about, like Dwight Howard, who didn't have great finals but was very good against Denver 
in the Western Conference Finals. And there's some, um, like, you know, look, Kuzma's not the greatest player in the world, but, like, he's a homegrown guy. Caruso's a guy they didn't, you know, they got an undrafted free agent. So there's some guys on this roster that the Lakers, you know, did get through the draft, but it's not many. Um, you know, Dan yeah. Horton Tucker's another guy, but he barely played the season. So to your credit, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's all for LeBron and the guys they brought in around him to support LeBron. <laughs> I'm not very interested today in having the Michael-LeBron debate as a lot of people are making it today because I think, kind of like with Michael, there was that stretch five years, the next five years after he finished playing where we were looking for the next Michael Jordan. And there are some really funny stories you can find, whether it's about Minor or Van Exel, where you have the story, oh, this is going to be the next Jordan, and then we figure out, oh, there probably isn't going to be another Michael Jordan. I feel the same way about LeBron, that this, this guy, I think... He is there. There are fewer guys who are comparable to LeBron than there are to Michael because Kobe Bryant was a spinning Id image of Michael in many ways. The way that he played ball, um, I'm interested in what you value when it comes to the Michael LeBron debate because one thing I think last night proved that Michael never never had to prove in the 1990s is that. Whatever situation LeBron's in, he's going to make it work. It doesn't matter what coach. It doesn't matter what type of player his second-best player is. Kyrie was a point guard. Dwayne Wade was a wing. And AD was a big man. It doesn't matter. They're going to find a way to win a title. And he won a title in his second year at all three of those stops. With, My with Michael, he won with the same coach. And he won with Scottie Pippen alongside him. Is that something you value? If not, what do you value when it comes to this conversation? Yeah, there's a million different ways to take it. And so much of it is going to be just sort of like in the eye of the beholder. Like, you know, however you want to rank those guys. I sort of see them as 1A, 1B. I tend to give LeBron a slight edge in half since the 2016 finals when he did something that MJ never did, which was win a finals where his team was the underdog. But the way I like to think about it with those two guys, LeBron and MJ, is like, they were just the best guys in terms of floor raising for an entire team and ceiling raising for an entire team based off whatever the current rule structure was in the league at the time. Jordan had a game, this, this power isolation game, that was built for the 1990s. LeBron, even, I mean, now he's been doing this for you know, two decades now, but he's got this amazingly versatile game that he can, he can shoot off the dribble. Genius, best passer in the history of basketball, right? So you can put all this shooting around him. Um, and he's got an offensive game that's tailored to just as soon as he's on the court, you're going to be good offensively with this guy because like he's just going to make the right read every time. And he's so efficient at the rim and getting to the rim while also being a perfect passer. So you just have these two power wings, super versatile defensively, very good defenders. But just their offensive games were absolutely tailor-made to take advantage of whatever the rule structure was um, you know, at the time, whether that, you know, I don't, you know, what was it, is it the chicken or the egg, which comes first, it, it almost doesn't matter because their success is just so amazing. But I just think of two guys that were really, uh, you know, you could drop them in any era and they would be absolutely amazing, but they're just, they tailor-made their games to be so dominant and to raise the floor of whatever team they were on based off whatever the current, like, paradigm in the league was as far as, like, the rules and roster talent distribution goes. Brian Dysinger is with us here from ACCSports.com. We have our weekly ACC rankings out, our top three, Clemson at number one and a stunner, Notre Dame number two, and North yeah. Carolina in at number three. And, you know, the Tar Heels, they've been moving the needle the last few days on social media when it comes to the question of whether or not they are a legitimate top 10 team. They're ranked number five in the AP poll. The last time they were there, they were playing Florida State and lost. This week, they're getting set for, let's say, a very different Florida State team. And <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if they're a top five team because I think Ohio State and Penn State are really good and they haven't started playing yet. And we'll see what Oregon is when the Pac-12 gets start playing as well. But I do think they're a legitimate top 10 team because they've shown us in the first three games they're capable of winning in different ways. And when the game almost got away from them twice against Tech on Saturday with Hendon Hooker picking up play, they they never surrendered the lead. They responded with touchdowns when it got close. The quarterback-coach combo that the Heels have with Mac Brown and 
Sam Howell, two things that are ultimate equalizers in football. If you have a great coach or a great quarterback, it can be a great equalizer. They have both those, and the only combo I think that's better in the country is Dabo and Trevor. They also have continuity, which I think really matters in 2020 and speaks to why LSU is not just bad, but losing games that they really should win with the talent they have. And Oklahoma, too, with Spencer Rattler, who we thought was going to be great. My explanation is you didn't have a lot of spring practice. Continuity is important. The Tar Heels have everybody back on offense. They have Chad Surratt on defense, their OC, and their DCs back. That's a long way of saying I think they're a legitimate top 10 team. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. And just, I would also add, like, Ryan Day, Justin Field, probably in that conversation sure. for coach quarterback, you know, best best combo at Ohio State. Too. Dan but Mullen, Dan Mullen, wanna... Kyle Trask, probably there as well. Sure. I don't want to really give too much credit to Dan Mullen uh, this week right now. Because <laughs> he's saying a lot of uh, perhaps idiotic things. Let's just use that as the adjective. Uh, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now. But, but, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, the UNC team is really good. I mean, they can, they can, like you, you said it, they can win in a bunch of different styles. I thought you could even see that in the opener against Syracuse when the offense wasn't really clicking on all cylinders and Chad Surratt and, and Fox, like the defense sort of led the way. This is a defense that has lost some guys or missed guys because of injury or had guys that opted out. And, I, you know, with Surratt in the middle, there's a certain, you know, standard that they're going to bring. And offensively, like once they get it going, I mean, they have two incredible running backs, one of the best running back duos uh, in the country, arguably the best in the ACC. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has a, has a nice pair as well. But you know, how the passing game with Newsom and with Brown, like they have a bunch of different ways that they can do it. They have a great quarterback, and they play both sides of the ball. So yeah, like right now, why, why, like. I think it's easier to make a case that they are a top ten team than it is harder to like make the case that they aren't. At least right now. I mean, we've only played you know a quarter of the season or a third of the season, so we'll see where things go. But no, I I think if you look at their efficiencies on both sides of the ball, you look at their talent. Um, yeah, they're they're really good. There's no there's no denying that. And there's you know some serious tests on the horizon, but beating Virginia Tech, that's a good team too. Um, and putting up fifty six points and all those yards offensively. Uh, pretty damn impressive. BG, thanks for doing this, man. Good to hear from you. Yep, you too. There he goes. That's Brian Geisiger on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. Really good basketball analysis there. And uh, ACC football as well. You can find our ACC rankings at accsports.com.